So, so this is um, the last um, in the series of I Ams. Um, now, me and Joe, um, I'll, I'll be honest, me and Joe, we do love a good series on Netflix or BBC iPlayer. Um, but you know when you watch a good TV series and you get to the last episode and your expectations are really increased and you're expecting there to be a massive, great big climax. And whenever we watch a good series, at the end of it, Joe always says, oh, that was such a letdown. That's so disappointing. So I'm just hoping that on the last I am, this isn't a big letdown for you, okay? Um, but this passage this morning, we're going to look at um, I, when Jesus says, I am the vine. And, and this passage is all about fruitfulness. And that is a particularly pertinent word for us as a church community, because from as far back as I can remember, King's Church has always run after fruitfulness. Um, we have always unashamedly prioritized mission as a church community. Um, our website is called Making Jesus Famous. Um, and we're a community of people who want to be fruitful in all that we do. Um, <clears throat> but on my personal journey, I've discovered personally that it's possible to go after the right thing, but in a number of ways that are less than God's best. And, and, and sometimes I've ended up pursuing fruitfulness but ended up disappointed, tired, weary, wounded. It's possible to go after the right thing, but maybe not in the best way. And Yotunde reminded us earlier on today that, that Jesus said, I am the way. Is it possible that this morning, the one that says, I am the way, wants to show us a different way to fruitfulness? And so in this passage, Jesus talks about two things. He talks about fruitfulness, and he talks about the how to get there, which is abiding or remaining connected to Jesus. Um, so let's start with verse 1. Don't know if my clicker's working. Is it working? No. Can we go to the first, that next slide? There we go. So Jesus says... I am the true vine. So, so this echoes back. This isn't Jesus just like making something up on the spot. This echoes back to all of the Old Testament when Israel, um, the story of Israel. So all the earth was filled with wickedness. It was filled with that people didn't want to follow God. Um, the whole earth was a spiritual wilderness, a spiritual desert. But in the middle of this desert, in the middle of this wilderness, God says, this is my world. And in the middle of this wilderness, in the middle of this desert, God plants a vineyard. And the vineyard are his people, his people, Israel. And, and God, so God plants this vineyard. Now, I'm just gonna, we're just going to go through a little bit. This is the science lesson part of my preach, okay? Uh, I don't think my clicker's working. So if we go to our next slide. Uh, no, next slide. Uh, oh, hang on, are we missing a bit? Let's go back. Ah, there we are. Brilliant, thank you. Um, so, um, 
vines, okay, grow in a vineyard, okay? But there's a purpose to planting a vine. And the purpose is that the vine would produce something. Uh, next slide. Um, that vines would produce grapes. Um, and again, there's a purpose to grapes. It's not just that grapes taste nice or they look nice, but grapes produce something. They produce, the next bit, they produce wine. And that's God's purpose, that he would plant a people, Israel, into this world. It would be his vineyard, but that the establishment of the vineyard would produce fruit. Fruit that would fill this whole earth. And, and we read that in, um, again, the scripture comes up. Isaiah 5, 7 says, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. This is back then, thousands of years ago. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And that's God's intention. But the problem is, is that this vineyard, this people that God planted into the world, um, stopped producing fruit. Israel were unable, for whatever reason, to produce the fruit of the kingdom, to produce the fruit that God intended her to produce. And in Jeremiah, next slide, 2.21, God says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine. And, and they didn't want to bless the world. They wanted to build their own kingdoms, their own empires, and be kings and queens of their own lives. Does this sound familiar? Um, you see, Israel couldn't be the vine that God intended her to be. God planted her into the world. He tended to her. He watered her. He nurtured her. But Israel fell short. I can empathize with Israel because I too am not the man that I want to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Jesus. And, you know, sometimes I come into our church meetings and I feel like a grasshopper. Um, but then we start worshiping and we start meeting the king and, and Jesus reminds me of my identity. And I, I, nearly every Sunday I walk out of here and I, I feel like a giant. I feel like a warrior. I feel like I can take on this world again for Jesus. Um, but the problem is, is that very often that doesn't last very long because I then go back into real life. And I'll be honest, I'm not the dad that I want to be. You see, I want to be patient and kind. I want to be loving and gracious. I want to represent God to my children I don't want to be controlling. I, 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 I want them to feel empowered. And then even this morning, I'm preparing for my preach, this preach in the living room, and Aaron comes in, and I kind of just snap at him. I'm just like, I, I need a little bit of peace and quiet right now, Aaron. And then later on, half an hour later, we're at the breakfast table, and, and Aaron kind of pipes up, and he says, yeah, uh, Daddy, uh, Daddy told me off today, this morning, for breathing. Um, <laughs> I'm not the father that I want to be. Um, I'm not the husband that I want to be. You see, I want to serve my wife. Um, I want to lay down my life seriously to, to help her become all that, God's, all that God's made her to be. But I do. I, I have that intention. And yet I come home from work and I'm tired and I'm irritable. And I end up acting selfishly or taking her for granted. Thank you for putting up with me, Joe. Um, 
I'm not the teacher that I want to be. I want to create this classroom in school where, where children come in and they feel accepted and loved, uh, a classroom of peace. And on Monday morning, it, I end up just not creating what I want to create. I lack self-discipline. You know, I'm not like Babs. Where's Babs? You know, I, 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 like, I have problems eating too much chocolate and biscuits. I can't say no. Um, I, I want to spend more time with God reading my Bible and praying, but I find it hard getting out of bed in the morning. I get easily distracted. I'm not the man that I want to be. Do you see, guys? Israel couldn't be the vine that God intended her to be, and we can't be the vine um, neither. Do you know why? Because Jesus says, I am the vine. We were never meant to be the we were, we, we're not the source of life by ourselves. Jesus says, what you can't be, I am. I am the vine. Do you struggle? That's okay, because I'm the one who gives you life. I am the vine to this world. And the key to it, guys, all we need to do is connect into the vine. So maybe you're carrying guilt. Maybe you're carrying a bit of shame. Jesus said it. Jesus just wants that to drop off right now because Jesus says, you can't be the vine by yourself. Only I can be the vine. And then next slide. Um, the second part of that verse, Jesus says that my father is the gardener. A.W. Tozer once famously started a book by writing, whatever comes into our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Now, I don't know. When you think about God, you maybe think many things. I wonder if God being a gardener is one of the first things that comes into your head. Not the first thing that comes into my head, but, but God is a gardener. What's the first thing that God did after he created the world? He planted a garden. Um, and, and what did he do after he planted a garden? He planted his people, Adam and Eve, into a garden. You see, I'm not a gardener. So if I see a messy garden, okay, my immediate plan would just be mow it with a mower, destroy everything and start over. But my auntie Nikki, well, Joe's auntie Nikki, uh, she passed away uh, maybe about a year or two ago. But she was a gardener. And she would see a garden, and, and she would see something different to me. Because, you see, she would cultivate the garden. She would care for the garden. She would gently nurture the garden. See, God, Jesus is saying, God is a gardener. And the thing about my Auntie Nikki is that her garden was always so much more fruitful than my garden. She'd always be giving us cuttings and, and producing fruit from her garden and saying, do you know what, just plant this in your garden and what grew in my garden can now start to grow in your garden. Do you understand what grows in our lives we're able to plant into other people's lives? How is God like a gardener? I've got just a couple of things here. Number one, um, God wants us to flourish. Um, I know you might say, yeah, 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 I know that. But he really does. Not in our idea of flourishing, but in the real idea of flourishing. See, he knows you. Gary's told us already. Um, he knows what he's placed inside of you. He knows what makes you tick, what makes you work. 
Um, Lucy, you might have seen my daughter um, dancing sometimes here. She loves to dance and she goes to a dance school. And in order to get into this dance um, school called CAT, um, she had to go to an audition. And I took her to this audition um, and there were maybe 40 or 50 people waiting to go to this audition. There's only maybe 20 spaces. And she was saying to me, you know, Daddy, I'm a bit nervous. And I didn't say this to her, but I was thinking, I'm even more nervous than you, Lucy. I'm falling to pieces right now. Um, but, you know, you know, I was so desperate for her to flourish um, I went away and I was in turmoil. I had to leave her for half a day. And I, and, and, and I couldn't think about anything else because I, and I'm an imperfect dad. I am, really. I'm an imperfect dad. But even as an imperfect dad, I am so desperate to see my daughter flourish. How much more does God long and yearn for us to flourish? And so number two, flourishing you know, uh, we read this about um, uh, Abraham, when, when God appears to Abraham and he says, you know, I'm going to bless you. Oh, no, um, uh, the other slide, that's it. Um, and God says, I'm going to bless you. Um, but through being blessed, you're also going to be a blessing to all the world around you. Um, and then number three, he plants us into a garden. Just as he planted Adam and Eve into a garden, he plants us into a garden. You know, maybe your garden is your family that you live with. Maybe your friendship group is a garden. Maybe your connect group is a garden. Maybe the street that you live on is a garden. Maybe this church community that we're all a part of is our garden. But God plants us into a garden. And in this garden that he plants us, this is a place where, we, where we're able to flourish and bless the world around us. If you just look at this picture of my garden. Now, this, uh, like I say, I'm not a gardener. There's many things wrong with my garden, you know. Uh, we've got a dog. It's kind of like a dog's garden, isn't it? She, our dog churns up the grass. Uh, see the half-painted fence at the back? Uh, it's just terrible, isn't it? Um, but, you know, maybe we might look at our gardens the gardens, the communities that God's placed us in. And we might see something like this. It might be a bit of a mess. And we might think to ourselves, God, I want to be planted into a different garden. But God says, I've planted you into this garden. Whatever your garden is. By the way, if it's not this church community, then, then it'll be another church community. But whatever church community, whatever workspace, whatever street, whatever family you find yourself in, God says, this is the garden I've planted you in. And it's as you, um, it's as you flourish that your whole garden and your whole community will flourish. So let's go to the next verse, verse 2. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You see this word prunes suddenly comes in to the equation. Um, now, if you read the NLT, Actually, that word clean is actually tra more accurately translated as pruned. In other words, Jesus is saying, remember when you first got saved and Jesus changed the whole trajectory of your life and he cut off your old nature. 
He pruned your old nature. He pruned all those things that would lead you away from him. He cut them off. He took out your old heart. He pruned your old heart and gave you a new heart. Remember that? And Jesus is saying, just as you started your following, uh, following me like that, so you should expect that to be continued in your Christian life. <clears throat> you know, I remember when I first got saved. I first started following Jesus. And in those first weeks, God pruned so many things. He took out so many things that were ugly in my life. I remember one of those things is that I had lots of posters on my wall of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, and I remember, um, I read, there's a verse in Job that said, I made a covenant with my eyes never to look lustfully at a woman. True story. And, uh, and God said, take down those posters. And I had a whole afternoon of wrestling with inside of myself. You see, I didn't want to take them down. I liked looking at Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But now, you see, at the time it felt like a really big deal that God was asking me to sacrifice something huge. I look all these years later, I look back at that now, and I look at my wife, and I look at the family and the marriage that I have, and I say, thank you, Lord, for pruning that thing out of my life. You see, Jesus prunes, why? Just for the fun of it? No, he prunes for greater fruitfulness. There's a very famous statue that Michelangelo once made of David. Um, there's, there's a picture of it just here. And when Michelangelo made this statue, it started off as a solid block of stone. And he chipped away, or he pruned at this block of stone till all that was left is one of the great masterpieces um, in today's world. And he said this, he said, every block of stone has a statue in it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. He cuts off things that don't belong on us. Galatians 5 lists some arguing, sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, moaning and complaining, cynicism. You know, if I've had a bad day, I'll start being really critical of everything. And, and as I'm driving home, I just sense the Holy Spirit saying to me, Kev, I want to prune that off you. That's not true to your nature. Um, and he prunes us. I, I remember Rian, many of you will know Rian, part of our Wivenshaw community. Her dad, called Steve in Merthyr, he, he used to say over and over again, cut me again, Lord. <laughs> cut me again, Lord. Maybe we're not quite in that excited place of cut me again, Lord. But when we trust the gardener, when we see the love and the passion in his eyes, when we see the one who longs to restore us, to cut away the things that lead us away from him, that cause us harm, maybe there are things that are stopping you from producing the fruit of the kingdom. Maybe something in you is a little bit resistant to give yourself to the pruner's knife. So how do we measure fruitfulness in our lives? You know, um, just there's a picture of some measuring cups. I have porridge every day. Yeah, you can encourage me, guys. That's impressive. I'm not at Bab's level, but I have, I have porridge every morning, guys. Encourage me. 
And when I have porridge every morning, I use some measuring cups like this. I just had to get that one in there, okay? I use measuring cups like this to measure the porridge and the milk and the water in equal measure, okay? Um, but, you know, that's what I use to measure my porridge. I wonder, how is it? What, what paradigm, what perspective do we use to measure fruitfulness in our lives? Because, you know, one way that I used to measure fruitfulness was by how busy I was. I thought that in order to be fruitful, I would look at how busy I was. And the busier I was, the more fruitful I was being. And if I wasn't very busy, then I wasn't being very fruitful. But if I was being really busy, and if I was really tired, and if I was really worn out, um, then I was being more and more fruitful. And... The thing is, is that fruitfulness is not the same as busyness. It's easy to get confused between those two words. It's possible to be very busy, but not very fruitful. It's also possible to be not very busy, but to be very fruitful. Um, <clears throat> the second thing um, that I used to measure fruitfulness in is happiness. So busyness. And happiness. Because, see, we're told a message from the world that as long as you're happy, it's okay. The most important thing in life is that you are happy. You know, maybe you're happy in life right now. Maybe you've met your husband or your wife. Maybe you've got the career you've always wanted. Maybe you've managed to land that dream house. Maybe you're happy with your lot in life. But you see, guys, fruitfulness isn't necessarily about how happy we are. You see, fruitfulness is about how available are we to partnering with God in his mission. Sometimes our happiness can get in the middle of that. See, are we too busy building a life that makes us happy? Who's really at the center of our lives? And Jesus comes in, and I just wonder if he's challenging us. I wonder if he's challenging me. And he's saying, Kev, how do you measure fruitfulness in your life? Um, what if Jesus has a different framework entirely to the one that we currently see, of, see with? You see, like, what if he's asking the question, you know, how much are you becoming more and more like Jesus? How much fruit of the Spirit is being produced in your life? How brightly are you shining for God in your workplace? How available are you? How devoted are you? How much of your heart does God have? And then in verse 4, Jesus moves on. And he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, I, I don't know about you. This is like, it kind of feels like if I was explaining this to, my, to a class in my school, I'd just be like, duh, are you silly? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, if I was, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, how many times do I have to say these simple things? Um, it seems so simple, doesn't it? Imagine if I had a branch... And I said, this is a branch from my apple tree. And just so you know, because I've snapped the branch and it's not part of the apple tree anymore, it will not produce any apples. You'd be like, well, duh, of course, Kev. <laughs> it's obvious. Um, 
The thing is, though, is that Jesus, Jesus the one is, who is full of grace and truth. And Jesus is bringing before us a truth. The danger in me saying a statement like, God is my source, or God is our source, is that you guys are all going to say, yes, amen, and you're going to agree with me. But I once heard someone say the biggest job of the preacher is to rescue the word from the obscurity of the familiar. You see, what would it really look like in our lives if we really believed that God was our source of life? Like, how would it transform our personal times with God? That actually, I need to spend time with God, not out of a sense of obligation or out of a sense of duty, but because he's my source and I need him to pour into me right now. I'm speaking to myself, guys. Um, you see, just like Adam and Eve, we might, we might believe the right things, but, but we are so easily deceived. Um, we think that, that getting other people's approval will bring us life. Like, really? Like, uh, that, that's not me. Well, what about trying to get likes or thumbs up on social media accounts? being that popular person in school or at uni? How about when we're tired at the end of the day and, and we turn to chocolate and junk food? We binge watch um, a streaming platform and, and we think that those things are going to bring us rest or they're going to bring us life, but they don't. Or on a Friday evening, we turn to a couple of glasses of wine to dull the senses we turn to pornography or other addictions. We dream of escaping our mundane, troubled lives by going on that holiday. A break from reality. But then we realize at some point that we have to return to that reality. You see, guys, Jesus is saying none of these things will bring you life. <clears throat> Jesus is not angry. He's not saying, if you don't abide in me, then I'm going to make all these bad things happen to you. He's just stating a truth. He's saying, you can only produce life when you're connected in me. <clears throat> if we try to be fruitful without this truth, we might produce fruit for a while, but it won't be long before we fall into the traps of frustration, cynicism, moaning, complaining that it's too hard. Have you ever reached that place? Hear Jesus saying this morning, come to me, all who are weary and tired, for you will find rest in your souls. So I've just got three very practical uh, things, ways we can abide in Jesus. Um, the first thing is abiding in Jesus in times of crisis. See, John who wrote this, <laughs> I love this, John, John describes himself as the one that Jesus loved the most. Uh, can you imagine introducing yourself uh, to people when you meet them? You know, hi, I'm Kevin, I'm the one that Jesus loves the most. Um, if I don't say so myself. Um, <laughs> but you know, Jesus, um, John wrote this, and, and he, he wrote this after Jesus had died. So he has got first-hand experience of crisis moments. I'm thinking of like the Last Supper. You know, th there were many suppers that Jesus had with John and his disciples, but this one was different. 
It was going to be the last supper. The disciples didn't quite know what exactly was going to happen, but they knew Jesus was talking different. He was acting a bit weird. Um, he, was, he started talking about the wine being his blood and, and, and the bread being his body. And, and, and he's talking about someone betraying him. And I think the disciples, they must have known, hang on, this is a crisis point. After this moment, everything is going to be different. We all face crisis points to some degree. We will face a crisis point at some point this week, this month. And we find ourselves in a situation that we didn't plan for, a crisis point. What do you do? Well, what did John do? We read just a snippet in another portion of the Bible. It says that he leans, in a crisis point, he leans his head. Now, a more uh, sterile version will say he leans his head into Jesus' chest. Uh, but the real word isn't chest. The real word actually makes it a bit more uncomfortable, but it's just piled with intimacy. He leans his head into Jesus' bosom. In a crisis point, he leans into Jesus. And what's the fruit of this? The fruit of him abiding in Jesus, of leaning in at a crisis point, is that later on, when everyone's falling away, when, when Judas ultimately commits suicide after, after betraying Jesus, when, when Peter says, I'll never deny you, and then he denies him, where's the one who had leaned into Jesus? He's the one who holds firm till the end. Guys, do, we, do you want to hold steadfast until the end? Do you want to remain faithful and fruitful until the end? I wonder if John uncovered a key here. Lean in to Jesus' bosom. Number two. What happens when we want something different to what Jesus wants for us? You know, sometimes as Christians, we can learn all of the right things to say. Um, without really thinking about what they mean. So um, we had a youth Christmas party before Christmas, and John Mark, um, who heads up our youth work, he, uh, he had a time with the youth. And at the end, John Mark asked them, he asked the youth, he said, why do we love Jesus? What has Jesus done for us? And the youth, like, I've taught them well. They said, um, we love Jesus because we are sanctified. And uh, another person said, uh, we love Jesus because we are justified. And I was like, yeah, they know all the right words. I have taught them well. But then John Mark, straight away after them saying that, said, what does that mean? And they were like, mm, I'm not sure. He said, what, do, what does sanctify, what does it mean? Oh, I don't know. And he was like, well, you've just been taught a word. You've, you've subconsciously learned that if you just say the right words, you'll get by. And even as adults, you see, guys, as adult Christians, we, we can know in church the right thing to say. You know, what, we can say things like, whatever God wants, I want. Whatever God wants, I want. You know, yeah, that sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like what we're supposed to say. But really, is that true? Like, all the time, do you really want whatever God wants all the time? Like, like, what about when, when God calls you to be single for a season, but you really want to be in a relationship with someone? What, what about when, and this has happened to someone that I know, 
Um, what about when God gives you your dream house and then just six months later, he calls you to move to a different part of the city because he wants you to help to be a part of a community out there. And it means you have to give up that dream house. What about when God's asking you to stop doing something, but you don't want to stop doing it? Or, or, or what about when God asks you to do something, but you don't want to do it? Um, is that always true? Whatever God wants, I want. I don't know if that's always true for me. You see, in the desire to get quickly to the destination, we bypass the process of abiding. I wonder if sometimes we try to be holier than Jesus himself. You see, let me explain. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was torn within himself over an issue. You see, because on the one side, he heard the Father calling to him and saying, Jesus, my son, who I love, I want you to go through the agony and the separation of the cross. Jesus, I want you to carry upon your shoulders the weight of the sin of the world. And, and Jesus didn't say, yeah, whatever you want, God, I want. Um, no. Jesus said, I I'll be honest, I really don't want to go through with this, Father. I feel a bit intimidated. I'm not sure I want to go through with this. And if you don't believe me, then it says it in Matthew 26, 39. We see Jesus, and Jesus calling out to God, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, I don't want to do it, God. But then the second half of the verse says, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What happened between the first part of the verse and the second part of the verse? Jesus drew near to God. He wrestled it out with him. He poured out his heart to God. He sweated as drops of blood. He drew close to him. And from this abiding came the fruit of Jesus saving the world. Let us not bypass what Jesus didn't bypass. Wrestling with God, abiding with him when he wants something different to what we want. And number three, the last um, way we can abide during changes of season. You know, this life is a training ground for eternity. Did you know that? When we think we've learned something, when we think we've got something sorted in our Christian life, um, the season changes and we get to move on to the next season. Um, you know, you're in good company if that ever happens with you. Joseph, for example, the season of being the golden boy, you know, his dad's favorite. Um, and then the season of rejection. And then the season of working in Potiphar's house. The season of overcoming sexual temptation. The season of being wrongly accused. The season of being in prison. The season of ruling with Pharaoh. Very, very different seasons. Have you ever been fruitful in a season of your life? Have you ever thought to yourself, do you know what? I have just totally nailed this. And then what happens is something changes. A new job, a new relationship, um, a new church, whatever it is. Um, and everything that you've learned before, you're in a new season. It doesn't work anymore. Um, for us as a family, we've got three children. 
And um, we've spent the last five years in this beautiful season of pouring into our children. And we created this family where we, we thought that we had parenting nailed. We were like, yeah, do you know what? If you want to know something about parenting, come and see our three kids. Come and see us. We are like the parenting gurus. We have got it nailed. We're like sorted when it comes to parenting. And, and then in the last six months, our children have kind of just, just made this massive transition to being teenagers. And everything that we knew in order to set ourselves up to be fruitful as a family no longer works. Like, nothing works. So we now are back to being novices. So if anyone can help us in terms of bringing up teenagers, please come and see us. We desperately need help. But you understand, actually, there's something, okay, about fruitfulness that it's not stagnant, that when you produce fruit in your life, we can be tempted to think, oh, that's it, I made it. I'm a tree and I'm producing loads of fruit. This is it now, I've made it in life. But then what happens is a season changes. A season changes, and the only way we can produce fruit when a season changes is just going back to Jesus, going back to Jesus, abiding with him. Jesus, teach me again what it is to be a fruitful vine. Remember, God is the gardener who prunes. We shouldn't be surprised when there's pruning that goes on in our life. If you haven't been pruned in a while, then go to the pruner. Seriously, go to the pruner. Pruner, Father, I want to be fruitful. And in order to be fruitful, you have to cut me. In order to be fruitful, I have to be pruned. It's not pleasant. But you know what? It's the way to fruitfulness. And the last part of this passage, it says this, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. You know, Jesus, the one who says, I am the way. I believe he's the one right now saying, I want to show you a better way. There is so much fruit that I have placed inside of you. <clears throat> Abide in me. Remain in me. And even this is a prophetic word to all of us, I believe. Abide in me, remain in me, and you will produce much fruit. Amen. 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 Um, maybe we could just get to our, uh, if we could just stand to our feet, maybe. Uh, maybe the worship team could just come back. There's uh, a lot of words that have been spoken this morning. Maybe not all of the words may be relevant to you, but I do believe that as the word has been sown, God's word's been spoken, that there is something for you this morning. Jesus' words is the only thing that can transform you. Can it be, it's the only thing that can bring the change that you so desperately want in your life. What is Jesus putting his finger on right now? Don't look to me right now. Just look to Jesus. Just open your hearts to him in whatever way you do. Whether you hold your hands up or if you close your eyes, look to Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd move upon us. 
that you want us to flourish. You're so for us. Help us to be the vine that you've planted into this world. Help us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.